Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the podcast where I share the inspiring stories of diverse leaders bringing equity to financial systems through fintech. I'm Nicole Kasperson. The credit scoring system, which is meant to be a neutral, fact-based way to decide whether someone is approved for a loan application, really puts the U.S. history of economic racism at the forefront. So in this episode of Humans of Fintech, I talk with Michael Bruton, who is the founder and CEO of Altro. Altro is a fintech startup redefining the status quo of credit building. It's a no-cost credit building app that uses non-traditional forms of payment history like Netflix and Hulu subscriptions to help users build credit without prompting additional toxic consumerism. In this episode, Michael and I get very real about the inherent inequities that the current FICO score system perpetuates, especially on people of color and other underrepresented communities. We also talk through the ways that Altro is bringing true equity to the credit scoring system by building something new. And you'll also hear a lot about the inspiration that Michael had behind building Altro and the ways that he is finding his sense of belonging in the industry as a founder of a startup. A lot of it happens through community building. And Michael is so, so focusing on ensuring that Altro's community taps into the growing demographic of users who want their financial tools to give them that sense of belonging and values and impact as well. So Michael is filled with wisdom and I am so excited about the company that he is building to bring equity to financial systems. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Michael Bruton. Michael, thank you so much for joining Humans of Fintech. I'm so excited for this conversation and to jump in into all the great work that you're doing to help bring real equity to to credit scoring. So yeah, thank you for joining. Um, I truly appreciate you for having me. I'm excited about this. Yeah. So to start, here on Humans of Fintech, we do talk a lot about you and your background and all the influences that have shaped your career trajectory. To start, when we last met, you let me know that you are a military kid. And from the ages of, I think you said like 7 to 17, you grew up in places like Japan and Korea. And in those countries, everything was really built on community. So help connect the dots for us and just elaborate on how that experience really led you to want to create a very community-centric fintech company. Of course. Uh, Like you said, I spent a lot of my time growing up uh, overseas in Okinawa, Japan, and Seoul, Korea. And if you look at just even the economies, especially of Japan, everything's built around community. Um, Really, there's a deep culture that cares about the people, the families, and their heritage that affects how they play into like their economy and how they play into their business. I think that I took that level of community-driven development and saw a very different nature when I came back to the United States when I was finishing up high school. And when you juxtapose the two, you realize that America is really about climbing the ladder, individualism, really pushing yourself up, while the other side of the earth sees things very differently. And, you know, the question really was, can you bring that level of community-driven business solutions to the United States? And our platform, although it's seen as a C-Corp, operates honestly kind of like a nonprofit. We're a social impact company. We're focused on helping people, building generational wealth, 
building upward mobility. Um, and we do that in this individualist mindset of venture capital and American business. So it's a very interesting twist that we're trying to pull on in the United States. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I mean, I, and I hear it all the time from guests on my show, right? That the American, you know, cutthroat culture is is difficult and it it's oftentimes faced in the fintech community. Luckily, on the other side of that, there is also a tight knit crew of folks in the fintech space that are willing to level up each other and always be advocates for each other. How have you found your place kind of in that as you've been navigating the different cultures and, you know, even as a fintech founder yourself? I've realized there's a couple of gems in the fintech community and just finance as a whole. And a major shout out to people like John Hope Bryant. Uh, Dick Parsons, Robbie Robinson, Chris Paul, a number of people, Larry Marcus. These people have really identified that things have to change, especially when you think about fintech. And I think in real time, you're seeing this evolution uh, where technology is really making an impact on the archaic systems that you see in finance um, that is changing the way that we think about just how we bank as consumers. Users now went from having to bank with one bank for their whole life to switching banks in five minutes, right? Um, you see the development of companies like Greenwood, which is focused specifically on Black and Latina founders and people of color. You see this, this a large array of business and opportunities that is happening from people who are thinking about the market differently. I love that that ecosystem is growing. And it is like my greatest honor of my career that I get to ensure that these stories are a part of our fintech history and the narrative and really putting it at the, at the center of the industry narrative so we can see it continue to grow. I want to get in on the system that we're talking about here when it comes to credit scoring. You know, it's, it's meant to be a neutral fact-based way to decide whether someone is approved for a loan application or or not, or you know, approved to have a home or even an apartment. So, however, I think it is not often talked about how this system has put the U.S. history's economic racism at the forefront, and it's still happening today. So, happy to talk about the way that you know Altro is really trying to change that and make the credit scoring system more equitable? The best way to put it is the credit score system, like you said, is supposed to be an equitable practice to tell someone's behavior or ability to repay or, you know, their financial, how well they are financially literate. I put that in quotations. But the issue with the system is not only was it developed less than 100 years ago, but if there was any sort of bias in the history that is formed from that, then the data itself will be biased too. So when you think about American history, there's been a lot of bias in many different ways uh, that affect a lot of people. And because of that, the credit score system is very biased. And you see that today, right? Um, If you grow up in a household that has great credit, you will have great credit. Um, If you grow up in a household that doesn't have great credit, you won't have great credit. And sadly, you see that there's a very big economic a disparity here too. When you look at brown and black folks, when you look at people of color, um, when you look at the LGBTQ community, um, you see that their scores, their average access, and the credit products that are provided to them are not as great as their counterparts. So when we built Ultra, we built it with the mindset 
that we wanted equitable access to credit. Uh, we wanted to build a pipeline so that no matter who you are, where you're from, how you identify, you can come to a platform and go from zero to one with your credit score. Um, and that's what we're building today. The digitization of finances, leveling the playing field and expanding access by reducing the impact of racial biases on credit decisions is a significant development that is so overlooked. I don't know how we aren't talking about this all the time. Like, thank goodness you have dedicated your your career to talking about it all the time and, and putting it out there. And it's garnered the attention of folks like Jay-Z's Marcy Ventures and helping raise your, your 18 million Series A uh, back in May. And what is the current environment right now for you as you've raised your Series A and you're building... How, what are the obstacles we're running into? And then maybe we can talk through some of the some of the successes too. I would say the biggest obstacles is A, market, and then B, finance as a whole. So of course, markets are much different than when we raised our Series A about a year ago. You know, money's tight. Uh, investors kind of have the say now. And it went from investors pitching startups to startups pitching investors, which is how it should be. One good thing about markets like this, though, is the best survive, right? Like there isn't like a um, there's still funds with obligations of billions of dollars that need to be invested. Um, they're just being a little bit more picky on where the money goes. So less companies getting more capital is what you're going to see over the next couple of years. But finance as a whole is just very costly. Competitors who have gone into the space have raised about two, three, even four X more than us. You see a lot of big funds writing big checks into competitors because they know the opportunity in the space. Um, maybe not with the economic and social, like societal impact environment that we are trying to push, but still just credit building and finance as a whole is just getting a lot of money right now. The optimistic side of us is really what you said before. I feel like we found a culture and community of people, of investors, um, of advisors that really care about the mission as a whole. And as we pivot our vision, as we pivot around like what we're trying to do, the mission really stays the same, which is, you know, creating solutions to just make the world a better place and to bring equity to the credit just service as a whole. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think that your focus on community taps into a growing demographic of users who want their financial tools to give them a sense of belonging as well. And frankly, that is like where the culture is shifting to. And if investors can't see that today, they're going to they're going to need to see it like down the road, because especially our, our Gen Z besties, they're only you know going to accumulate more wealth. They're only going to get older. They're only going to become you know a larger part of the workforce as time continues on. And frankly, they're not interested in being a part of anything that doesn't align with their values or anything that doesn't push for that community aspect that pushes for for impact. So I think you having not only good intent, but good impact is gonna take you to the next level. You saw with millennials this push like after 08 and after the dot-com crash, like our, our parents grew up in fear. Well, the majority of America grew up in fear where credit was bad, um, you wanted to stay safe, please go to college, you know, um, a very safe America from all the things that were happening, even 9-11 itself. And I think that millennials really wanted to change, but I think Gen Z is like acting on it. Like, there's not a single Fortune 500 company that's not talking about climate change and impact, right? right. Uh, or DEI, for example. Um, I think that's just the start. I think that there's going to be a requirement, like you said, for there to be a community play, for a place of belonging, 
in the products and services that Gen Z uses, and I think it's going to make a big impact on how we operate. I want to kind of go back a little bit to finding your sense of belonging in the fintech space. You know, you're working on these amazing things. You have a good, you know, sense of the industry's trajectory, right? And that the trend towards, and it's like the hill I will die on, the trend of community value-based fintech companies succeeding in the future. And you know what? We're going to just keep making the VCs realize that that's, that's a thing. What was maybe the moment that made you realize that the fintech space would be the place where you could make that impact? Like it was the place that you realized maybe your differences were that, that superpower. I think that fintech was kind of going through a revolution the same time that I and the company was too. I think before we had a team, we went through too many pivots to figure out what we could do to solve this mission. Like I said, the mission's never changed. For the last seven years now, the mission has always been, how can we bring equity to the space? Um, I did not know that fintech was going to be that solution, especially in the credit building space. But I think you saw this induction of technology for the first time, right? You saw the introduction of Plaid. Um, you saw what PayPal was doing in this space. Kind of just taking very archaic systems and putting a small twist on them um, and it becoming really, really successful. I mean, even Chime is simply a banking app that is mobile. <laughs> and that's, that's a billion-dollar business, right? <laughs> so I, I think that you saw these little twists turning into really, like, truly IPOs. And at the same time, we were realizing, can we sneak in and create a product in the space? And when we realized that there's a world where we could get a relationship with the bureaus, there's a world where we could actually lend as a startup, right? There's a world where we don't need to be a bank with billions of dollars in assets to actually make a change for the people that we're trying to serve. It, it became really exciting. Mm. So I think that's when, you know, we had our revolution at the same time that fintech was having its own. And of course, the space became a little bit more competitive, but it's still been great. It's been fun. I'm really thankful. I think that the fintech space's revolution or like epiphany has been, you know, okay, we can be so much more than just like payments. We can be so much more than just like Venmo or like even being so much more than just, look, I love having access to 50 investing apps like anybody else. However, <laughs> wouldn't it be cool if we used all of this maturing technology and advancements that we have to maybe not make a FICO score that's just a one-size-fits-all product offering for an increasingly diverse demographic of users? <laughs> I appreciate that you, uh, you're you on that trajectory <laughs> right yeah. away. The, well, the worst part is like there's still so many bad things in, in fintech, right? Um, I know. There's payday lenders, right, um, who are putting 200% APRs on people's literal payroll. Um, oh. I was on Clubhouse, like, when Clubhouse was a thing. Um, <laughs> R.I.P. Clubhouse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and there was a lobby of people selling um, credit lines, for like thousands of dollars on Clubhouse. Like it was a bid. Like people were like throwing up like $500, $600, $700. And unfortunately, this is how people that look like me that, you know, come from backgrounds like me get their access to credit, right? It's some guy who has a great credit score selling their credit lines, pretty much putting you as a signee on their account um, so that you can start building your score. And there's just so many inequities in the space. Um, that we want to tackle. And that's really what keeps me moving. It's what keeps the team moving is every time that we help a member, we're, we're changing their trajectory from a payday lender 
or from buying tr- trade lines or going to this website called My Jewelers Club, which I talk about all the time. It really is like hoping to push justice in the space. And for me, a lot of it does stem from even just financial education. And something I noticed about your fintech companies, even just the website to start is incredibly inviting even to someone like myself, right? Like someone who is different, someone who is not incredibly trusting of the traditional financial institutions because why would I be? <laughs> There's enough stats out there to show you why you, most of us shouldn't be. And how cool is it? Like how cool is it to actually make understanding what's going on with your, say, credit, right? Or being able to change and build wealth to actually make that cool to make it something that people want to be involved in, make it something that isn't such a moment of dread in your life. And so I, I appreciated that immediately, even just the feeling I got looking at the at the website. So I am interested in, you know, you sharing more about how you incorporate maybe like the content and the financial education into this, because I do think that's like, you know, that's the root of the problem, right? Well, there's a lot of roots of the problem, but definitely financial education is a part of it. If we can help change the biases and add financial education, you know, it seems like the the formula for success. No, no, you're very right. And I wish I could take credit for the way that our brand feels, but uh, Iris, Kiana, Shimera, and our team really has taken what we thought Ultra could be and made it into reality. And it's super exciting because it is approachable, right? And I think when we think about financial education and empowerment, it also has to be approachable. Um, and a concept that we started was all the financial education that we have in our app is 60 seconds or less, um, meaning that you can learn about 401ks, Roth, option trading, like literally the whole spectrum of finance um, in a minute. And I think that, you know, when you think about how we operate as people now, um, the fast paced culture and wanting to move forward, wanting to get information and go with it. That's a concept that's worked really well. And we're developing on it, of course, and turning it into something better. But we even started a YouTube channel where we talk with different celebrities, right, um, that are in our network about their finances, how they're doing. We attended a Juneteenth event and asked people about credit. Um, Just really becoming community focused is is the objective. So, I love that you are leveraging content so well. If there's like one question I get asked the most by fintech founders or CEOs that I bring on this show is questions around content. They want to know how to do it right because every fintech company has to be like a content company now, <laughs> um, right? To be able to like reach reach their their audiences. And I so I love that you're you know grabbing onto the the short form video content. That is such a such a key. What is your secret? to creating that content and making it relatable. For me, it's always being like authentic, but I'm curious from your point of view, how that translate as like a FinTech founder. Yeah, no, I think it is being authentic. And I, even though we're a finance company, we, we really think as if, you know, we are millennials, we are Gen Z. And I think that this, our team thinks that way too, right? Like I don't want to sit there and read a 30 minute blog or even listen to something that's 30 minutes, right? But I'll spend 60 seconds learning about credit, especially if it has actionable steps. Like, this is how I actually do it, right? You know, even when it came to our brand, like, it was a question of, like, what do we want to see out of a fintech? Not not in what is in market, right? It's, like, truly, like, what what do we embrace as ultra? What is, what is I mean, even our name means other, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how do we really embrace that feeling throughout our product and brand? And I think that we're, of course, it's always a running development, 
but it's it's really coming together. It makes content easy. It makes financial content easy. It makes building the product easy. Um, it really just adds up based off of what we want to see. So there you have it. Uh, folks should listen to this for that even just that piece of information, right? Like I said, it's like the biggest question I get asked. So thank you for sharing that. I do think I want to circle back to the inspiration or anyone that really helped you understand that this path was was, was right for you. And you had mentioned a couple people earlier on, but you know, was there anyone or any few people in particular? And what was maybe like the aha moment between you that was like, I should do this. Like, outro is it. Yeah, I don't know who quoted this, but it's like a, it takes a million people to build a business. There's been so many people in my life that I'm so grateful for that has pushed me the right way or helped me avoid mistakes or if I did make a mistake, fell faster. I got to give the earliest accolade to Sebastian DeVivo, which most people on our team may not know, but he um, knew me back when the company wasn't even a company. And uh, him and the Small Business Development Center let me run around with my 17 pivots, uh, thinking that I was on top of the world. I figured everything out um, and let me develop as a founder, as an entrepreneur. Um, They let me test things. They taught me how to do market theory. Um, They really taught me just how to take something from zero to one, how to build a real company. And Sebastian, we haven't been in touch for years now, but he was really foundational in me going the right way. And of course, there's plenty of, you know, advisors and teachers and people who have been across that path, even my parents. But it really is Sebastian, the SBDC, Gary Perez from the USC Credit Union. When I was a freshman in college, he inducted me to the board of directors at the USC Credit Union, which was way over my head. I had no (laughs) idea what a HELOC was, right? And I'm making decisions on a board level for a credit union. Uh, But like the education I just got from that, right? Like um, I think people silently plugged finance into my life. Um, Right. Oh my gosh. (laughs) People have been sprinkling like crumbs of finance into your life. Like maybe you should do this. Maybe you should, you know, create a system that actually helps people build credit in ways that make freaking sense, given that not everyone in the planet has a mortgage or an auto loan or, you know, Maybe I shouldn't just be judged based on my credit card debt. And maybe I should be judged on the fact that I've paid rent consistently in New York City for the last five years. This is clearly a little, it's getting personal for me. (laughs) Uh, But yes, all right. So I want to jump into a little of an aspirational future and thinking thinking ahead now uh, as as we wind down. So if... We want to be the change that we wish to see. What change do you wish to see in fintech and how do you embody it? I think that there's a need for very consumer-driven solutions to become the future of fintech. And like I said, I called out Greenwood and other companies. I think that, you know, no matter how you identify or who you are or your background, ethnics, everything, there should be a product for you in market. Right. And I think that with the low barrier of accessibility that's coming to fintech, um, that should also be a low barrier of accessibility for consumers as well. I think that there should be a very guided principle, um, even from the government level, on this is how you go from no credit to a black card. Right. This is how you go from 
a damage score to a great score. And right now, there's not a single person on this earth who could tell me how to go from zero to black card, right? It's, it's such a, such a gate kept community for all of the wrong reasons, right? It creates inequities. It creates economic disparities. It creates these gaps that we see where you have this elitist society because they somehow made it, but they don't even know how they made it themselves unless it came again from a system that's based off of biases and they've had that opportunity the last 50 years. So as the world is changing, there's a really great article called The Minority to Becoming the Majority, where there's more you know Latino and Black and people of color across the U.S. than any dominant race. Like there's no dominant, well not race, but like there's no dominant ethnic in the U.S. anymore. Right. And I think that we should really reflect that in the people who are making decisions, who the CEOs are, it's even crazy. Like there's a, there's a study out there that I sent to our team, like 0.7% of women founders get funded, but it's like more than 60% of them sustain while any other startup has about a 1% chance of sustaining. It's, it's just data that shows that the world should be ran differently and it's not there yet. So I, I won't harp on this, but you can harp of- on this. This is the podcast to harp on it. This is, <laughs> I, I have created an entire fintech content platform harping on this. <laughs> So thank you. Like, thank you for saying it because it's, it is needed. Right. And foundationally, we haven't even addressed that. Like we, that's why I created what the FinTech, because we still need to address the fact that, you know, FinTech has come here and said, Hey, we're, we're going to be different. We promise to be different than the traditional finance space. But if the decision makers in the rooms of these FinTech companies look just like the decision makers in the rooms of the traditional finance companies, i.e. largely white and male dominated, then what difference are we going to make? Yeah. We're, that's the greatest innovation of all is if we can actually change that. And, you know, you're doing it by sitting in your seat. And then on top of that, you're actually creating a company that's working to bring equity to the changing demographics. Right. So and actually working to change or it's not really about like changing. It's creating a new system. Right. Like a new system of credit scoring that is so much more modern, is so much more personalized that, you know, takes into account things like, hey, I pay Netflix off damn well, or and my Hulu and my this and Spotify, because that's the world has evolved. Why the hell has our credit system not evolved too? with it? Wild. So thank you. So thank you for sitting in your seat and being that that change. It is so needed. I want to also ask what we can expect from you and Altro next. I know we have maybe a few things in the works when it comes to expanding the platform a bit. Yeah, yeah. And before I even jump into that, I got to say thank you for the platform, too, that you've built. I think we get so deep into the weeds that we we don't step out to talk about the world that we live in. And to be able to just harp on things like this, is it's empowering. So I appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, in terms of what's on the on the roadmap, I think there's a lot of things. Um, I think that from a product perspective, we're thinking more about accessibility outside of credit. There's members who have came to us who want to use our product who don't have a bank account. Or, for example, there's financial deserts in Texas that are bigger than one would ex- expect um, south of San Antonio, uh, where people just can't get their first financial product because, you know, they've lived on a cash economy their entire life. We're recognizing that this is a problem that we want to solve, um, and we're building solutions around that so people can go from financial access from a bank account to a credit score to, you know, this black card roadmap. Um, and we're working on the top of funnel, too, of course. 
making sure that what's after your credit score? Are you able to refi? Are you able to get mortgages? Are you able to consolidate debt? We want to help people get out of their payday loan situations. Like there's so many things we could do that I get excited about, but I realize sometimes we have to slow down and focus as a team um, and really do what we are doing first really well. So yeah, there's a lot on the horizon, but I'm really excited about just the team and our energy every day that we put into Ultra. So yeah, no, that's amazing. And I look forward to seeing the the trajectory. So my final question for you, Michael, would be what is one piece of advice you would give to my listeners who maybe feel a bit like outsiders and that they're still trying to find their place in the industry? You know, my listeners are largely founders like yourself or and and CEOs and other professionals in the space. So drop them some knowledge, some wisdom. There's one piece that I always say, um, and I'll start with that one, but it's always start tonight. I feel like there's always like this level of, and you hear it in other quotes as well, like a perfect plan executed tomorrow is worse than an okay plan executed today, especially with the world that we're raised in. Like we're not taught to be innovators. We're not taught to be entrepreneurs. We're not taught to question the status quo at all. And for opportunities like this and to challenge yourself in the way that us and the company has done, you really do have to start today, right? You have to, you know, I want to see the world like this. What can I do today to push that forward? And there's no way I could have predicted that Ultra would have been the outcome of that. But I just started, right? I, I made this terrible website um, with the name creditstarter.net that for some reason nobody likes. I still think it's a great name. I think it's very popular. <laughs> it gets the point across, but um, team thinks otherwise. But uh, yeah, I just made this website and I just started pulling in interest. And, you know, there was no way I could have actually done what I thought I could do back then. And the level of engagement that we got was way more than I expected, but it proved the problem to be evident. Um, and that's when we started getting buy-in. That's when Marcy Ventures came in with the first check and it kind of just grew from there. I love that. I've been, even myself as, you know, the founder of like a content creation platform in fintech, I started out being so overly obsessed with the perfection, right? When you're a person of color, when you're a woman, when you're a diverse individual in these industries, unless, you know, excellence is is it unless you're yeah. perfect all the time or unless you're excellent all the time like that's that's the level I have to be at to even get looked at right to be taken seriously um, and you know this right so over time though I have learned that and I've been trying to tell myself that imperfect action is better than perfect inaction and I feel like that's like a different way of saying like start tonight like yeah. just keep going have fun while you do it and be yourself and the results will, will come with consistency. So I love that piece of advice. Thank you. I will take that with me as well. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely. And there's a whole different world that I could harp on in terms of opportunities and having to be perfect. I, I don't know if I share this a lot, but the founder of Slack, he was actually working on a gaming company before he started Slack. And oh, he had wow. raised like $50 million to go build this game that completely failed um, <laughs> and went back to his investors and said, you know what? Gaming is not the best for me. I want to start business enterprise solution software around communication and somehow raise millions of dollars to do that. 
And I, I think when you look at opportunities like that, there's no way I or you could walk into a room with that same pitch and, yeah. and get the same outcome, right? So it is a challenge, right? Like, I think that we are really pushed to be perfect because of the way that we look or how we identify, which is definitely not fair. But um, definitely still to start tonight, I think that luckily there's people like you and people like Robbie and Dick Parsons who are recognizing the other and, and really pushing for that equitable practice. So, yeah, that's a whole different, I guess, podcast episode. Right? That's, that's the next podcast. That's the next time I bring Michael on. I mean, that that's the next one. Um, I would love to dive into that even more as well. But we'll just have to bring you back. We'll have to bring you back on the show for the, for the next one. And so, yeah, so thank you so much, Michael. This has been amazing. So much wisdom, so much authenticity. And I appreciate the organic conversation. And thank you so much for joining Humans of Fintech. Yeah, no, and thank you for having me. And thanks for the team for watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What up, team? Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. To hear our next story from another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating as it helps our message reach more people who want to find belonging too.